Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of Decentral Lounge, which is brought to you by Global Stake, your institutional and truly decentralized bare metal staking service provider. Uh, today, we're very excited to have a wonderful guest on the show, Mr. Ken Chapman. Uh, Ken, for those of you that are not aware, is a finance executive with 20 plus years of experience in both traditional finance as well as digital assets. His experience in traditional finance includes working on both the buy side as well as the sell side of capital markets with firms including J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and Bridgewater Associates. However, his recent experience in digital assets includes leading tokenization and cryptocurrency initiatives firm-wide at Wells Fargo, as well as being the head of banking and capital markets at Anchorage Digital, which is the first nationally chartered crypto bank. Ken also previously served as an active duty U.S. Army officer before working in finance. But now he has a consulting practice, T10 Ventures, where he advises companies on strategy for digital assets and blockchain. And Ken is also a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point with an MBA from Columbia University. Ken, we're very excited to have you on today. Thank you very much for having me. Of course, of course. So, Ken, can you kind of just start us off here? Share with us your your story and journey from traditional finance to, to the world of digital assets and blockchain. What kind of sparked your interest in this field? It, it really came about uh, quite by accident. The uh, I was at Bridgewater Associates, which is the, the largest hedge fund in the world, and the uh, the CEO had asked the question, you know, what is blockchain and what does this mean to our business and what does it mean to capital markets? And this was in uh, 2016, around the time that, that Ethereum had, was really taking off, smart contracts uh, was, were really taking off. And so I, I reached out to the big consulting firms to find somebody that could answer the question. And I found people that understood blockchain. I found people that understood capital markets, but I couldn't find anybody that, that knew both. <clears throat> and so I know capital markets. And um, and so to, to answer the question, I need to learn about blockchain. <clears throat> and so what I did is I went back to the very beginning. <clears throat> and so I went back and I read this Toshi Nagamoto white paper. <clears throat> and my first thought when I read it was, you know, this is, this is pure genius. <clears throat> you know, it solved the Byzantine General's uh, dilemma. <clears throat> Um, you have, you know, trustless transactions. And I thought it was, uh, you know, very interesting. But also in 2016, when I first, you know, was introduced to Bitcoin, my, my initial thought was that the U.S. government and the governments of other developed countries would, would outlaw it. And uh, so I'm actually pleasantly surprised that it's still here today. And so I, I went from understanding Bitcoin and then to Ethereum. And really dug in to understand, you know, the smart contracts and the implications. And once I did that, I was, I was, you know, kind of saw the vision, you know, back in 2016 around the the power of um, smart contracts and also what uh, you know could could be the future for tokenization. And we're and we're starting really we're really seeing that today in 2023. And so um, I left um, traditional finance in 2018. I was uh, really excited about. Uh, blockchain and, uh, and, and, and cryptocurrency. And so I started my own uh, practice, T10 Ventures, uh, advising a number of early stage companies. Most notably, um, in the summer of 2018, I helped uh, a company, CryptoFuse, uh, launch the London uh, Blockchain Expo. Uh, we were going to uh, launch a IPA, uh, ICO in uh, August of 2018, but just weeks prior to that, the SEC came up with a guidance that they were applying, applying the Howey test, which, according to our attorney, um, we would be, if we went forward, we would be, would be issuing a uh, unregistered security. 
So we canceled the ICO, and then I got involved with a number of other companies. And then I ended up going to the last company that I thought I would go to once I left traditional finance. I ended up going to, to Wells Fargo. And Wells Fargo at the time, you know, um, had, had a reputation for really being anti-crypto. Uh, and at the time, they had made national news uh, because they had uh, prohibited, they were prohibiting their retail customers from moving money from their checking account, their Wells Fargo checking account, to, to Coinbase. <clears throat> but they were looking for someone to really answer the question and help lead initiatives around the same question that was asked at Bridgewater. You know, what is uh, blockchain and what are the implications, you know, for capital markets? And so at Wells Fargo, I led uh, tokenization initiatives uh, to include um, repo or repurchase agreements. Uh, basically, for those who don't know, it's, a, it's a typically an overnight transaction where you're you know, trading um, uh, cash for a so, some sort of security, typically a treasury. <clears throat> and this is a multi-trillion dollar market, massive market. And so using this technology, um, you're able to go from settling that trade over a two-day period to being able to settle, um, you know, within, within minutes. <clears throat> and so it's very powerful as far as being able to uh, manage uh, uh, collateral, manage cash, <clears throat> And then also uh, uh, significantly reduced counterparty risk. Other initiatives I got involved with uh, included tokenization of mortgage-backed securities and then also applying blockchain technology to uh, equity swaps. The um, In the summer of 2020, um, Bitcoin really started taking off in price, and there was a lot of interest from uh, customers, you know, in Bitcoin. Um, and so our Bitcoin and also uh, other cryptocurrencies. And so I... It essentially became the uh, the crypto guy at Wells Fargo, and was looking at all potential you know use cases, business cases, looking at uh, customer demand, and looking at where you know products and services that Wells Fargo could potentially uh, offer. And one of the, the use cases I was looking at, or business case I was looking at, was around uh, crypto custody. And so I looked at a, a number of firms in the industry, and the the uh, the company that seemed you know, to check all the boxes and being the best partner, you know, at the time was uh, uh, Anchorage Digital. And Anchorage at that point had, was the only, uh, was the first and only uh, crypto custodian to have a national bank charter from the OCC. And so I really liked the company, um, was a good fit for Wells Fargo, but also a good fit for me. So I ended up moving over to uh, Anchorage Digital, where I was the head of banking and capital markets uh, up until the uh, end of last year. <clears throat> And, um, you know, since then, I've uh, gone back to, to, to T10 Ventures, which I created right after I left uh, Bridgewater. And that's what I'm doing today. And I'm advising a number of early stage companies. Uh, one company is a, uh, a crypto custodian. Uh, another is a, uh, a company that is tokenizing um, accounts receivables. <clears throat> Actually, I'm, I'm going to pause right there. Yeah, of course. Um, really appreciate the backstory there. I, I'm kind of curious what... Um helped spur you to move from, um, kind of, I, for lack of a better term, not traditional finance, but the blockchain-focused traditional finance world, more like CFI of Wells Fargo, to truly jump in with Anchorage Digital um, and to adjust your career that way to be more open-minded to um, a lot of these public cryptocurrencies. Because, uh, for instance, a lot of people that still work at larger firms like Fidelity or JP Morgan are <coughs> Sticking with uh, private blockchains that they're creating internally, what kind of pulled you over to the public sector? Well, for me, it's uh, 
you know, I think the entire uh, space is, is interesting and fascinating. And so for me, you know, um, when I first, when I first left, um, Bridgewater and created T10 Ventures, I was involved with crypto native companies and I was involved with a company that, uh, you know, had its own, uh, chain, uh, public chain and also was going to, going to issue its own uh, cryptocurrency. So it kind of went from being involved with uh, cryptocurrency to, uh, you know, more traditional tokenization of real world assets and then kind of a combination of those, you know, going forward with, uh, Anchorage Digital and then now today. <clears throat> So it's really been, to me, I don't really see it as being two separate things. I think it's just, you know, they're along the, the, the spectrum of what is, you know, made possible with the technology. Awesome. So then I guess last question in regards to Wells Fargo and um, Anchorage Digital, can you kind of describe the key differences you experienced being in a traditional banking environment versus a crypto-focused um, bank? I would say it's just the um, kind of the, um, the mindset, um, you know, coming out of a you know, being in a traditional institution, it doesn't matter whether it's Wells Fargo or any of the others, you're trying to in- introduce something that's new and novel, and in some cases, things that uh, where there's not a real clear uh, regulatory framework. And so uh, those larger institutions move slower. Uh, they do eventually get there, but they move much slower. And then, you, you, you know, looking at uh, crypto-native companies, you know, they you know, have a different mindset, you know, from the very beginning, from the, from the leadership, from the founders, all the way down, you have this mindset around, Hey, there's this new, this technology and there's a new, and we can, you know, reimagine, you know, how banking is done and how, you know, uh, value moves, um, you know, on chain. And, and so it's really having, you know, it's really just a change in mindset. And, uh, you know, to me, you know, I enjoyed working in both, uh, you know, in both, both, both companies, but, um, you know, you want to, if you want to move faster and, um, the crypto native companies is where it's at. Great. So then transitioning over to, uh, your current firm that you're working at now that you started T10 Ventures, can you kind of give us, uh, you know, your perspective on, um, the biggest challenges and opportunities that for institutional adoption of cryptocurrency in today's market? A couple of things that will really, uh, be milestones in the industry. One is a, uh, a Bitcoin ETF or a Bitcoin spot ETF. There are already Bitcoin future ETFs, ETFs out there, <clears throat> but I really think that, uh, that that's going to be a game changer. Now there's big companies, there's big companies out there that have, they have applications with the SEC. You know, for example, uh, BlackRock is the biggest asset manager in the world and they have a, an application, you know, with the SEC right now, um, that are actively working with the SEC to get that application approved. <clears throat> And when, when the first Bitcoin ETF gets approved, that's going to be, that's going to be kind of the, the catalyst for institutional adoption. And also it's going to allow retail investors to be able to work with a company like BlackRock or Fidelity or one of these other large companies that they, that they know and trust to be able to get exposure to this asset class that, you know, today they may not be comfortable. You know, um, you know, going through you know other companies um, or crypto native companies. So I think that's going to be <clears throat> a game changer. And then also, I think same thing uh, also with the SEC. There's something out there called uh, SAB 121. It's a staff administrative bulletin. And what this does, kind of at a high level, is it uh, without getting too much detail, it kind of restricts the larger traditional financial institutions from providing custody for digital assets. <clears throat> 
And so my view is that, uh, that, that will be either revised or revoked sometime in uh, 2024. And when that happens, then you're going to have another uh, institutional milestone where the institutions can now um, provide, you know, tr- services to digital assets the same way they provide to, tr- uh, to tr- traditional assets today. And so between, you know, ch- the rules getting clarified for larger institutions by modifying SAB 121 and the introduction the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF, those two things happen in 2024. We're really going to see the industry really take off. I love it. Very, very well thought out answer. So um, what I'm kind of curious to expand upon a little bit further, I think a lot of people in today's age um, forget how slow industries move. So the banking industry lasted uh, traditionally for hundreds of years. And then in the last couple of decades, we've started to really see this huge push towards digital currency. So people are expecting things to happen quicker than they probably will. So the root of my question here is the next bull run. So uh, whether that's 2024, 2025, 2026, what have you, do you believe that this will be the time period where institutional money is really just putting their their toe in, their foot in on a global perspective? Or is this going to be where banking gets radically um, changed globally um, by imp- in implementing uh, tokenization and real-world assets fully? Uh, or is this really just going to be a testing ground and all that's going to happen maybe in the 30s? I'll, I'll answer this uh, really in two ways. One, I'll answer it around you know, cryptocurrency itself, and then I'll, I'll talk about uh, tokenization. <clears throat> so with cryptocurrency, um, as I mentioned before, uh, a couple of things, if the regulators provide uh, more clarity around uh, and, and provide a really solid regulatory framework for the larger institutions, then, then you're going to combined with, you know, an increase in price of Bitcoin and other, you know, cryptocurrencies. I think you're really going to see, you know, kind of a, uh, a maturity and a, an adoption, more, a better adoption by institutions driven by, uh, customer demand, and so I, would, I think that happens in the next, uh, you know, bull run if there's enough regulatory clarity, and that's that's kind of a big if. And then around the tokenization side, every large institution that I'm aware of has is, is leaning in on tokenization. They they at least have a small team, you know, looking at it, uh, or in some cases they have an organization around tokenization. <clears throat> and you're seeing companies like uh, uh, J.P. Morgan. Uh, really leaning hard into uh, into tokenization. They just uh, announced uh, uh, earlier this month their uh, uh, tokenization of collateral uh, initiative with BlackRock. And then at BlackRock, you've had uh, Larry Fink, who's the, uh, the CEO of the company, come out and say, you know, tokenization is the future. And so you're seeing, you know, and you're, you're seeing a number of um, initiatives. They're not grand, grand in scale, but you're seeing a number of initiatives, you know, across the in- industry around tokenization. You know, you're seeing, uh, you know, Wisdom Tree, uh, KKR, <clears throat> and a host of other large, well-known firms, uh, really, you know, taking tokenization seriously. So I see that. I don't see that necessarily as a bull run. I just see that as a continuing, you know, building out of the industry. And I think that, uh, We'll continue to see uh, improvements and progress over the, the next couple of years, but I don't think I think it's, we're still a few years away from tokenization being at the point of maturity where we stop talk, we stop talking about it because you know at some point tokenization is just the way things are done and nobody's going to care. 
one of the, just hearing that response, Ken, I was thinking about just recently with the BlackRock filing of the ETF, you know, the SEC came back and said they wouldn't allow in kind, you know, and it has to be on a cash basis. Do you think that that just sort of underscores the lack of understanding by our current regulatory bodies with regard to this future tokenization? I mean, because you would think that if you wanted to render your ETF assets and actually get physical Bitcoin with a spot ETF, that would be allowed. But the current way that it's moving, it seems as if that's not going to be allowed. Do you think it's just a matter of time before these regulatory agencies kind of catch up to the idea of tokenization? Yeah, I really can't speak to you know how, how the SEC is thinking about this. But to me, um, even if they were to um, you know approve a cash, um, or as you mentioned, uh, cash instead of in kind, to me, uh, that would be a, just a massive um, milestone for the industry. And just because this this application, you know, is being you know asked to do to do things one way, doesn't mean an application a year from now can't do it another and perhaps, you know, perhaps be able to, you know, exchange in kind. So just, you know, whatever has to be, <clears throat> my view is whatever needs to be done to get a, a spot Bitcoin ETF out there. I think, you know, the industry should, you know, accommodate that just to get it out there because that's going to be such a massive, such a, a big deal for the industry. And it's, it's going to be a catalyst for a lot of other things in the industry. <clears throat> awesome. Ken. So for the last question, uh, I really want to ask, for our institutional uh, and capital markets viewers that are listening to the podcast right now, how can they work with with you with T10 Ventures? Um, are you actually working with um, new companies now? It's probably the first question I should really ask. And then, if so, how should they reach out to you and, and potentially work with you? Sure. The uh, after the beginning after the beginning of the year, I'm, I am going to have some capacity to pick up some additional uh, business. So, you know, and, and I, I focus on you know providing you know strategy. But also leading initiatives um, around uh, tokenization and also around uh, cryptocurrency because I do. Before I, I got into uh, digital assets, I have over twenty years of capital markets experience, <clears throat> both on the buy side and the sell side. And the way that uh, uh, if, if someone wants to, if if a company wants to get in touch with me, the best way to do is just reach out to me. My um, email: I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Ken Chapman, and then also you can reach me at Ken. K-E-N at T10Ventures.com. Ken, thank you so much for coming on to Central Lounge today. I uh, really appreciate it. For those of you that are listening, uh, if, if it makes sense with where your company's at, uh, please feel free to reach out to Ken, as he mentioned on those platforms. Um, and hopefully you guys can work and partner together and truly grow and expand your businesses. But thank you all for being here today and listening. Ken, thank you for being on and stay tuned for your next episode of Decentralized. Thank you very much for having me.